here is the plan for tonight. We read a long passage, Acts 2, 14 through to 41. And normally we take a shorter passage and go line by line and phrase by phrase and try to tease it out and then apply it. But we're going to do something different tonight because this is the first Christian speech, sermon, talk, whatever you want to call it. And Luke is going to use it. Now, if you're new to the Bible or new to the study, we're looking at Acts. And in Acts, there are 28 chapters. But of the 28 chapters, we find that Luke uses more than 30 speeches. This is what he does as a writer, as an artist, like propaganda, uses rhyme. What Luke is going to do is time and time again, he's going to give us a speech. And the speech is a tool for us to figure out what's going on. Now, you need to know this to state the obvious Peter, in Acts 2, speaks for about three minutes. Was Peter's message three minutes long? No way. As a matter of fact, if you have your Bible, just jump ahead to Acts 2, verse 40, because it gives us the clue. With many other words, he, Peter, warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So the tool that we have in Acts 2 is a three to four minute summary of what Peter said on this first day when God sent his promise and as Jesus had said, the Holy Spirit comes on his people, 120, they spill out to the streets, they begin speaking in other languages, in tongues, everyone's amazed because it's like God is speaking to them because people who don't know their local lingo are speaking in a language they don't understand but the people hearing it are hearing them praise God So they're thrown off, and Peter, along with the 11, rises up to speak. So what we're going to do tonight, because we're going to get speech after speech, and as we go through Acts, we're going to see the gospel again and again. We're not going to go line by line. We're just going to go section by section, and we're going to let propaganda, what he did, be our guide. How do we explain the gospel? Well, Acts, you see in Acts chapter 2, that it includes a summary of the gospel. That's what we're getting. Acts 2 is a summary. And so what I want you to think about tonight is not so much what did some guy you've never met 2,000 years ago, how did he share it? We're going to use Peter and Acts as a guide to help us think about how am I, when I'm at my favorite coffee shop, when I go to my classroom tomorrow, when I'm in the neighborhood, when God opens a door, to share with someone what I've already encountered, how do I explain that in language that's going to make sense to them? And we're going to use that as a guide. But before we do it, uh, I'm going to give you why. Why are we doing this? Not this last Friday, a week from this last Friday. I was in uh, Dapper and Wise, and it was my day off, just grabbing some coffee on the way to running errands. And a guy, as I make my little order, a guy looks around, he's sitting, facing out the window, looks around again, and he's like, hey, and I'm like, you know, hey. And he's like, you don't remember who I am. I'm like, awkward moment. You know, did that ever happen to you? Like, I guess I should know you. Are we cousins? Like, you know. Um, and so I'm like, oh, you look kind of familiar. And his name is Nick. He's like, he just goes straight in. He's like, seven years ago, you preached from Acts 2, this exact same text. You preached from Acts 2, and I got saved. I'm like, How's that for an opening line? Can I buy you coffee? You know. Uh, I'm like, whoa. He's like, it's funny that you would walk in because you just came up in a conversation. I'm like, 
So what happened? And he gave me a little bit of the background. He was dating a girl. He wasn't yet following Jesus, uh, but he was dating a girl as a Christian. He went to her church and went to the thing called The Way, which was a Friday night college study some years ago at the West Side. And he was going and going and going. They broke up, but he kept going to The Way. And, and then he said, you got up, and at the time I was visiting, flying in and preaching, he said, you got up and you preached from Acts 2, and at the end you said, well, what are you going to do about it? And he was struck, and he realized he actually needed to do something about what he was hearing. And he's like, that night I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I'm like, so what happened afterwards? He's like, we broke up, but he stayed. He ended up staying at what's now Westside Church. And uh, some years later, he felt this nudging to learn the Bible. He went to Moody Bible Institute. He lives in Spokane, Washington, and he's a youth leader at a church. And look at what God can do. Seven years ago, reading from this same text, Nick's life was transformed. That's why tonight, you never go, now I'm going to be honest, I don't remember that at all. I'm sure I was there. I don't remember it. I don't remember what I said. But the funny thing is, Nick says, he's like, every time I share my story, this is what I say. I said, God sent a fiery Puerto Rican from New York to get my attention. I'm like, fiery Puerto Rican. I like this. Anyway, God wants to use people like us. And if he can use on a chance encounter that I never even knew him and I don't know anything about him, if God can do that, then what could God do through you? So what we're going to do tonight is look at the gospel. Now, the gospel starts with God. Uh, what we're, what we're going to see is, is that's actually where Peter starts. Just, just, let's just go back to verse 14. If you have your Bible, God. The gospel begins with God. Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews. Don't miss that. Fellow Jews. When you think about what Peter says, if it looks unfamiliar and it looks a little strange and looks irrelevant for 2015, it's because Peter is a Jew and he's speaking to fellow Jews. Here is a tip. When you and I are talking to people about what we've encountered, remember, Peter is explaining what he experienced. And so whenever you and I, if we're sharing what Jesus has done, we're actually not just sharing facts. We're sharing an experience. This is something that has happened to us. We, like Peter and the 11, we haven't seen Jesus in the way they did, but we've experienced the resurrection. God has done something, and we we see it to be true. And so Peter is a Jew speaking to Jews. That's why Peter can go straight and start quoting from these obscure prophets, prophets like Joel. Fellow Jews, all you in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully. These people aren't drunk. Verse 16, no, this, it was, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And so the first thing that you and I can do to help people in nudging them along towards understanding what Jesus has done in our world is to get on the same page about God. And because Peter is speaking to a community of Jews, they're speaking from the same storybook. They have the same letters. They have the same background. They know that God created the heaven and the earth. They know that God had called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They know that God had formed a people called Israel and had given them land and blessing. And when Israel went off mark, God would bring them back and send prophets. And so all Peter has to do is say, you, you see this is commotion? This isn't commotion. Look back at the story because they're reading from the same page. 
And he can say to them, this is what was spoken from the prophet Joel. Don't get caught up in all the, the, the strange signs and wonders in heaven and fire and smoke and moon. What Joel was prophesying and speaking to the future about is on the day when the Lord comes. Because at the time that Joel's writing, Israel is a mess. The people of God are a wreck. But Joel reminds them, God, when he brings his people back and he does a new thing, that it's going to be so um, incredible that there are going to be signs surrounding it. And so he's saying, these signs, people speaking in languages that they haven't learned but you understand, men and women, young and old, all declaring the praises of God. By the way, none of these are official prophets, the 120. None of them are priests. None of them are kings. These are ordinary, regular people like us. The fact that they're declaring praises of God and they have the Holy Spirit on them is proof positive that God is fulfilling his promise. So when it comes to sharing the good news with people, when you and I think about it, we first need to think about where are they with God? Because until you get God, until you understand who God is, Jesus does not make sense. So he, he from verses 17 through 21, he gives them the background in Joel. And then jump down to 21. This is his point. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved or will be rescued. The old, old prophet in the story, leaning says, when God comes and brings his spirit, everyone gets to be included. And by the way, they already could see that everyone was included. It wasn't just Jesus' 12 apostles. It was every one of them were being touched and moved. And so he has the background, God. They get God. So what does that say to us? We need to start where people are. When you're thinking about your friend, you're thinking about your relative, you're thinking about that person that you encounter, and you're wondering, man, I'd love for them to experience life in Jesus. We need to begin with God. And I would just encourage you, because talking about spirituality, especially in the Pacific Northwest, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing weird. Everyone has a belief. All you need to do is open up with a good question. It's like, hey, man, I take this whole God thing seriously, and I've been seeking, and I've been reading, and I've been pursuing. Where are you with the whole concept of God? And listen, and you'll be surprised. They will tell you what they believe, whether it's like, I don't think there is a God, or God is human's creation, or God is wherever they are. You can't jump to Joel. You can't jump into Scripture if they don't have that background yet. You need to figure out where they are with God. But the gospel isn't just about God. It's about our sin, our dilemma. Who is God is the first question we need to think about. But who are we. Now, if you read this, Peter doesn't spend a lot of time talking about our sin. Why does he spend such little time? This is what we get. Verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited God by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. And then this is the little reference. Verse 23. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So notice what he did there. Those Jews who are traveling from all over the Roman Empire, they probably were not there when Jesus was crucified. But what, is, what does Peter do? He applies it. Ungodly, wicked men 
crucified Jesus even though he was innocent, and he says, you did it too. But it's a very small reference, nothing big. Here's why he doesn't have to spend time on sin, because Peter is a Jew talking to Jews, and Jews already understood if you're going to be right with God and receive God's spirit, you must be clean. When Jews would go to the temple or the synagogue to worship, they would have to wash their hands. They would have to wash their clothes. Everything that they used in the worship of God had to be washed. And if there was any sin that needed to be the, the, the crucifixion or the killing of an innocent animal to, to have blood spilled out, and that would somehow cleanse. There had to be payment for your sin before you worship God. Every Jew knows this, so there's no reason for Peter to spend a lot of time on this. And the sign that you have the Spirit is that you must be clean. Here's the implication. Here's why he can jump really quickly. All of these people are proclaiming the wonders of God in their own language. They're all showing the fullness of the Spirit. There is no way that the 120 could operate under the presence of the Holy Spirit until they had first been made clean. So what he's saying is really quickly, these people, all of us, there has been the cleansing of sin. Why? Because you cannot have the fullness of the Spirit until sin has been taken care of. So he says, you don't have the evidence in your life. You don't have the Spirit. You are in the company of those wicked men who crucified Jesus. But notice what he says about sin. God's sending of his Son wasn't an accidental death or a murder. Verse 24. Uh, verse, middle of verse 23. You put him to death by nailing him to the cross, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And so uh, Peter jumps. He spends a little time on the cross, little time on sin, and he jumps to the payment that Jesus made. How do we know that these people are truly filled with the Spirit. It's because Jesus is who he says he is, and he paid for sin in full, and now he's risen. He's going to later on talk about from Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. He's the exalted one. He's the king. He's worthy of worship. God, the gospel begins with God, and it moves on to sin. But once sin has been explained, Jesus becomes the payment. God sent Jesus, and now Peter's point is that Jesus is alive. I think so much of our conversation is about Jesus died for your sins, and, and yes, that is true. That's important to emphasize. What Peter spends more time sharing is that not only did, did uh, Jesus pay for our sin, but he shows that he's worthy of worship and worthy to be followed by his resurrection. So Peter, because... Jews didn't understand the cross. For us today, we're so far removed from the first century. In the first century, because of the, the law of Moses, anyone who was hung on a tree was shown to be cursed by God. If someone was hung from a tree, that shows that God's curse is on them. They're guilty. And Jesus is a problem for Peter and the Twelve. Because Jesus, for Jews, this made no sense. Jesus was murdered, killed, crucified. On a tree. So he moves past the cross, not, not, not looking at its significance. He talks about the significance. But he moves to the other side and says, the reason Jesus isn't a cursed one is because how could he be cursed? He's been raised from the dead. How could he be cursed? He's been given a new position of authority. Look at verse 
25. David said about who? Jesus. And then he quotes Psalm 16. I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Right hand is the sign and signal of authority. And Peter's just going to make this connection. The reason Jesus isn't cursed, the reason that we should worship him, the reason Peter and the 12 and the 120 are filled with this new power is because Jesus is more than a man. He is at the right hand. He's authorized to lead like God. Therefore, my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Now, Psalm 16 is about David, but Peter's going to explain, no, 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 friend, this is not about David. This is actually about Jesus, verse 29. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently, the patriarch, the leader, David, died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. So Psalm 16 is about how the Holy One won't see decay. And he says, I'm going to make a little point here. If this is about David, I could take you to David's tomb. The tomb of David was a revered holy spot. He's one of the greatest kings. So he's like, if Psalm 16 is about David and your holy one won't see decay, it's impossible. David is doing what? He's looking ahead. Verse 30. He was a prophet and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life. And we, speaking of the 120, we are witnesses of this. Exalted to the right hand of God, he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and poured out what you now see and hear. So, So Peter, in explaining the gospel, he's starting with the experience. They see something that has changed. These these ordinary Jews have this fresh power and authority. And he explains it by talking about who God is and what they are. Of course, they're sinners. They're, They're the ones that, like these evil men, put Jesus to the cross but, but look at what God has done. God has exalted his son, Jesus. Now, the reason I'm explaining this, this is a Jew speaking to Jews, is our responsibility, our joy, our, our privilege is to help people go from where they are in their knowledge of who God is, in the knowledge of where they're at, in the knowledge of what God has done, and to help people connect the dots. A Jew speaking to Jews doesn't have to spend a lot of time on sin. All Jews know that they're full of sin. But instead, he speaks of the exaltation of Jesus to the right hand of God. Now, this is what gets you killed. Because for a Jew to worship anyone other than the Creator God, for a Jew to revere anyone other than the Creator God, is heresy. It would be as crazy as me saying to you, those of you who follow Jesus, what you really should do is follow and, uh, and worship Muhammad the prophet. It would be that radical of a, whoa, wait a minute. But what Peter is explaining is Jesus is the one that David was talking about 
that he's going to take his holy one. He won't see decay. He's going to raise him up and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. So Jesus is not just a Jewish rabbi. Jesus has authority with the Creator and is now ruling. And the power that you see demonstrated in these ordinary people is the proof. Jesus is leading and Jesus promised to give his very spirit to his followers. And when his followers have his promised Holy Spirit, they too will lead with Jesus. So he starts from experience. He goes from God to our sin, paying the price Jesus, so that everyone can follow him. Let's just jump down to verse 38. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. He uses terms that they would get, Messiah, uh, Christos, or Christ. Uh, This is the promised one. If you were a Jew and you read the scriptures, you knew in there was a promise of one to come who would lead God's people into rescue, into peace, into joy, into God's salvation. God was going to send someone who was going to lead and And all Peter has to do is, because they have all the framework, they have God as their reference, they understand sin, they understand substitute because they go to temple, they do the sacrifices, and now he simply connects the dots and says, Jesus, 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 Jesus. So paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again so that verse 38, uh, 37 can come true. When the people heard this, they were what? Cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what do we do? And this is the beauty of it. The invitation is not just for Peter and the other 11. It's not just for the 120. I don't want you to miss this. That very beginning in the story of the movement of the church, that the invitation is for everyone. Now, there are more than 30 speeches in the book of Acts. And as we go through them, what we're going to see is Luke is really smart. He starts by saying, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And early on, as people are like warmed in their soul, somewhere within, like cut to the heart. What do we do about this? The invitation is for them. Even though, in one hand, Peter's saying, you're the people who killed Jesus. What do we do? Now that we know what's true, he says, oh, okay, this is for you as well. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So the good news of Jesus starts with a Jew. Jesus was a Jew, born a Jew, raised a Jew, died a Jew. He came for the people of Israel to rescue them, but he came for more. And from Acts 2, Jesus had promised in Acts 1.8, you'll, you'll preach the good news, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so everyone who came from a Jewish background was invited. As we move through Acts, the Samaritans and the Judeans are invited. And eventually those who aren't even in a Jewish background are invited. And the majority of us here tonight have no Jewish lineage. How many of you, just curious, not to put you on the spot, but you say that you have a Jewish background. That's, that's your heritage. That, that's cool. Anyone? Okay, yeah. So we have one or two, maybe. Most of us. We take for granted that this gospel, this message, is not just for those who are born from the lineage of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This was for everyone. So the invitation that 
that Peter gives is the gospel is the story of God and our sin. God, and how does he deal with our rebellion? Well, he does it by sending a son who pays for the things that we've done so that everyone who trusts in him alone will be rescued. That's what Nick heard uh, seven years ago. Uh, Nick had no idea that I was speaking on Acts 2 this Sunday, but it was a great reminder to me that whenever we share this news, that the gospel isn't just a statement about life or philosophy. It's not just information, but it's an invitation to experience life. As a, as a community, we, we've got a phrase that just it motivates us, it pushes us through, it helps us filter decisions. We here as a Sunset community want to help people experience life in Jesus. What does that mean? We want them to get the gospel. Because the gospel is an invitation to experience life. They saw it. They saw this is what happens when the Holy Spirit comes on ordinary people. And they're like, we want in. And they ask him, cut to the heart, what will we do? And look at what he says, verse 38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent for the forgiveness of your sins and be baptized. Now, in English, as we read it across, it seems like repent and baptize in the name of Jesus, and then you get forgiveness of sins. And if you look at it in the original language, that's not how it plays out. It's repent for the forgiveness of your sins and then act on it in baptism. Why does he say repent and be baptized? As we look at the speeches and acts, the sermons, the messages, you're going to see a variety of responses. Repentance isn't said every time. Sometimes it's place your trust in. And all throughout the New Testament, there are many phrases. Why does he use repent and be baptized? Repent is a Jewish term. Uh, All throughout this first part of the story, God told his people to repent. Repent is to turn back, to return. We go off course, we do our own thing, we get out of God's plan, and what does God say to us? All throughout, the prophet's message was repent. God loves you, God made you, God's calling you, turn back to the way of God. Turn back to God as leader, as Lord, as master, as savior. And so it makes sense, Jews, hearing it in a Jewish audience, get a word from like the prophets, repent, turn back. In, in Greek, the term that's used here means change the mind. It's the same concept. Repentance is a returning. It's a going back. Other way to put it, it's a changing of the mind. I thought Jesus was a rebellious rogue teacher, to put in their language. I thought Jesus was just an ordinary guy, and they killed him. End of story. Now they hear the good news, and they realize, no, Jesus is the promised one. No, Jesus is the one That David is talking about. Jesus is the one, Psalm 16, Psalm 110. And Peter in various places and Paul and others will will quote these Bible verses in the first part of the story and say that's about Jesus. And so everyone who trusts in him receives life. Repent and then be baptized. What is the point? When it comes to responding to the gospel, there's an internal work. You could use the word repent. You could use the word believe. You could use the word turn. You could use the word trust. There are many words that we can use, but the concept is the same. Something must happen within. At some point within, you need to come to the conclusion that God and what he said is right, 
And therefore, a lot of what I've done, what I think, how I live, if it's not in line with God, I must change within. To repent is to change your mind about who God is, who Jesus is, what God has done, and then I, I, I go back to the Godward way. I change my mind, I turn. And then it shows up. Here's the twist. Baptism, if you weren't a Jew, if you were born a Greek, in order to join the Jewish faith, you were baptized. You were baptized into the family. It is a sign of the washing away of the old, of the turning of the old life, and you're baptized into the community. Baptism isn't a, a, a Jesus-only thing. It was part of the story from the beginning. So if you wanted to convert to Judaism, you would be baptized into the family. And John the Baptist, he came preaching a baptism. John the Baptist, to Jews who were already in the family of God, said, be baptized. Show on the outside a repentance that has started within. So even Jesus was baptized. So it's a sign early on in the story about a turning towards God, not just in the heart, but in, the, in a public way. And so Peter says, and what you and I get to invite people to, is to have an internal change. To, to, to respond to the gospel is an internal thing. I can't see it. I didn't see that Nick began a whole new life. But something happened within. God did that work within him. But then it shows up on the outside. And the first thing that Peter points him to is to be baptized. Now, a side note, some of you who obviously have eyesight, notice on the first Sunday of every month, we, we do baptisms. And last week, it was amazing. How many of you were here at last Sunday night, Super Bowl Sunday? God bless you, non-football fans. Um, to me, highlight of the year, and we're only like in February, was there were two people who were baptized Three in the morning, but two at night while the Super Bowl was going on. And we ended the gathering. All of us just went around the baptism and celebrated that. It was so amazing and special. But when I read the text this week, by Thursday, I texted the guys and said, you know what, we need to do it again. Um, we normally do it the first Sunday of the month. But, but the call of Jesus in Peter's speech, and I think the tone is if God is doing something within, it needs to show up on the outside. And so repent, turn, change mind, move in God's direction, and then let your externals go in the direction of your heart. And so tonight, my word to you, tonight, if God has been stirring you and you've not yet responded to the gospel, you can do it tonight. We're calling you and inviting you in Jesus' name. Be baptized in the name of Jesus. That's the twist. Peter says, you would be baptized into the faith into Yahweh. And now Peter says, no, no, in light of Jesus, you are baptized into Jesus. So as Jesus went down and was raised to life, baptism is now the external where we say, I go away from the old. Jesus has forgiven my past. I'm going down and I am raised up out of the water as I will be raised to life. And it's not because I'm good and it's not because I'm consistent and it's not because I'm faithful. It's because Jesus Christ is enough. And so tonight, uh, this morning, we threw this out with sort of fear and trembling, you know. And like this morning, we're like, if, if you want to be baptized and, and follow Jesus in this way. And it was so cool to watch five people this morning. None of them planned it. No one even knew it was going to happen. But five people said, you know what, that's me. And I just pray tonight. That was this morning. That's what God was doing at 10 a.m. But tonight, as we've been praying all day long, I wonder if there's one of you 
or two or three, that you know that God has been doing a work in your soul. And I'm here to tell you, people who don't follow Jesus need to hear the gospel. They need to hear that God created us to be with him and our sin has separated us from God. But paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again so that everyone who trusts in him alone will receive life. And what's life? Uh, Life to Peter is two things, the forgiveness of sins and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. In order to be filled by God, you must be made clean. A Jew speaking to Jews. How would we share that with someone? The lingo is going to change here in 2015, but the concept's still the same. The people need to have their past dealt with, and they need to have power for their future. And Jesus, my friend, promises both. If you really choose to follow him, not only does he take care of the debt in the past, yes, but more than that, what about now? What about my sin struggles? What about my habits? What about my like, inclinations, which we all have? They receive forgiveness of sins and the power of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, who is God himself, when he comes to make his residence in you, will give you the ability to do what you cannot do on your own, and that's resist sin. Now, sometimes we don't follow his leading. Sometimes we choose to do our own thing. But followers of Jesus have the power of the Spirit to live the Jesus-like life now. And when you have the Spirit, the Spirit guarantees your inheritance in Jesus. The Spirit seals what God has done like wax on a paper. If you want to keep it private in the olden days, you would seal it with hot wax and it would be closed and you could not open it. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit takes what Jesus did 2,000 years ago and seals it and impresses it on your soul. And tonight... Some of, some of you, you've heard this 10,000 times, but maybe something sparking within. For those who don't follow Jesus need to hear the gospel. Those who do follow Jesus need to hear the gospel. Because the gospel is the good news. The gospel is the reminder that God is after us with love. And tonight you need to know that, that God is after you with love. And so if you come to worship tonight, if you've come to experience life in him, praise Jesus. But what we want to do tonight is think about, before we go to the table, how do I translate that to 2015 lingo? A couple of things, and then we're going to invite you to go to the table and we're going to celebrate the Lord's death and resurrection by eating and drinking. Four questions you can, you can use to help figure out, because I can't give you the lingo. How are you going to share this to your friend who doesn't come from a Jewish background and doesn't have a religious church history. Four questions to help you think about how to guide them along. Maybe just simply ask, who is God to them? And if there is a God, what has God done? And again, for us, we know that God has sent his son, Jesus. Who am I? we got to deal with the realities. Not everyone's on the same page when it comes to our own brokenness. Some people don't see any problem with their lifestyle. They don't see any problem with what they've done. Look, I'm okay. You're okay. We're all okay. Just be sincere. Just don't impose your values on me because that is the one ideal that is not allowed in America today. Don't tell me what to do. So how am I going to help someone? What do I do in light of who God is and what he's done? In light of who am I, what do I do? I pray that God by his Holy Spirit, as you open your mouth, would give you the ability to translate the old story, so to speak, what Jesus has done in language like propaganda does in his own way, you will have your own way. 
It may be story-driven. It may be simply saying, this is how I discovered who God is, and this is what Jesus has done in my own world. And let me tell you where Jesus has taken me from. And here's the story of how, when I first heard about this, how Jesus began to transform the way I think and feel and live. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I pray that because you have been given the Holy Spirit, like he gave Peter a way to understand and explain the gospel, that he'll give that to you. A couple of practical tips that uh, I hope will get you thinking as you do your homework, so to speak, as you think about the gospel and how to share it. A few, a few statements that may be helpful. Voila. Ah, oh, there you go. Know, know your audience. Um, he's a Jew speaking to Jews. So if your friend is from a non-religious background, you're going to deal with that differently than someone who's grown up going to church and reading the Bible and knowing the story. So I need to start where they're at. If someone doesn't even get the concept of God, I need to be patient. I need God to give me wisdom. I need to find maybe some others who've talked to people and have experience with those who don't get the concept of who God might be. I need to look at literature. There may be a book. There may be a podcast. There may be some sort of teaching that can help people begin to reshape their concept of God. I need to know the scriptures. What Peter does is he knows the story of God and he applies it to their story. Why do we study the Bible? Not just for ourselves, not just to be smart. We study the scriptures because the Spirit of God authored the scriptures and the Holy Spirit will equip your mind. I can't tell you how many times I've been speaking somewhere and out of my mouth a verse comes or a part of a verse that I wasn't even thinking about. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God. And if you choose to read and think about the Scriptures, you'll have ammo in the brain. And when you need it, God will use it. If you don't know it, God's not going to superimpose on your brain what you do not choose to read. Know the Scriptures. Focus on Jesus. Most of what Peter says is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's not about Christianity versus Islam versus Buddhism versus Mormonism. It is about the person of Jesus. When in doubt, my friend, if people go off topic about this, that, and the other, get it back on Jesus. And then finally, ask questions. When sharing the gospel, I don't need to do the talking. I just need to learn how to ask good questions and let people share what they believe. As they open their souls slowly, some not so slowly, some will spill it out, it will give a window. And as I ask good questions, like who is God to you? And others like that, that confidence, that bridge of relationship can be there. That can, Notice in the text, they ask Peter in the middle of his talk, what do we need to do? There's relationship. Now there are thousands of people, but yet there was a bit of a dialogue. So if this is new to you, don't be nervous. Here's the equalizer. You have the Holy Spirit. That's the bottom line. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that fills Peter's mouth is the same spirit who's now in you. So in light of this, we want to take the bread and we want to take the cup and we want to celebrate the reality that this week God wants to use you. And if you don't think you're useful, consider yourself one of the 120 all of them ran out on Jesus. Every single one of them ran out on Jesus in his moment of need. But even Jesus uses them. So no matter what you've been or are in right now, Jesus can use you and he will use you if we expect him 
to use us. And I hope tonight you've been stirred that Jesus will use you. If he can use a fiery Puerto Rican to talk to Nick seven years ago, look, he can use any one of us.